0: I mean, there's a huge case to be made that Trump's account hasn't been deleted because it drives revenue for Twitter, because people are going onto Twitter to see what the president's saying. Facts. Yeah. So, yeah. like, why, why would we trust them to regulate the social media space?
1: Welcome, everyone. We are your hosts. I'm Tepesh.
2: And I'm Sonica.
1: And this is What Will People Think? Not really. What will people think? I don't know, Sam. Well, let's chat
3: shit and get creative with who we know.
1: We may even learn something today. Wow!
2: <laughs> 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 if all our government and president can do is send thoughts and prayers, then it's time for victims to be the change that we need to see. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. And all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you?
4: Now, say it again. Say it again,
2: because you're a bottom line guy. You're a businessman. Yeah, you do a lot of nice things with your money. Yes, I've known you for a long time. But you had an option. You are deciding to pay your workers whether or not that was in the pre-existing policy. Right, it wasn't in the policy, but it wasn't an option. It was the right thing to do.
4: (laughs) Y'all mess up my business! And you call it black power? You mad at the white man! Why destroy my business? Why destroy my truck? Why destroy my computer? I'm trying to make it! Could you understand that? Can y'all see it? I'm trying to make it! (sighs)
1: Damn our inaction on school shootings, climate change, COVID economic response, and even the 1992 LA riots that we're seeing recreated today. All these issues had powerful messages that eventually got swept up under the rug of time. And I really, really hope that this time things will change and messages aren't lost through the noise.
2: I think a lot of content creators are struggling to find a balance between entertaining their audience and giving them a second to kind of forget what's happening versus leveraging their platform to create a conversation about what is happening in the world.
1: Couldn't be more accurate there, Sam. I mean, we sure struggled with producing this episode. We ended up pivoting our original topic at the very last second because silence at this time didn't feel right.
2: Quite honestly, between all the awareness growing on social media and, you know, all the other platforms, we're in a pretty historic time. Mm -hmm. And I'm just really glad that we were able to bring on a very relevant guest for today's episode.
1: Of course, me too. Sam, we need to get people comfortable with politics. Because human rights is politics. And for this episode, guys, we brought our expert friend, an aspiring politician, and someone I personally look up to, my fraternal brother, Avez Kazi. Here we go. Call him and Sam.
2: Sure thing. And he's connected.
1: All right, guys, let's just get into it. There's a lot of things we're going to discuss today, and I think we should just start off with what everyone's talking about, which is politics and what everyone's hearing on the news. You know, if you guys feel like it's something you should ignore, well, congrats on having the privilege to ignore it. But if it makes you feel helpless, like, would you like to learn more? Let's let's talk about it. Why does the word politics make people feel uncomfortable? Avez, Thank you for being on the show today. Where have you been? You've been traveling like a lot. And last I heard you were at HP, and then in December you hit me up to try subletting your apartment to me because you were in rush to Iowa. <laughs> okay. Like, what's up, bro? Like, where you been? Oh, okay. man. So
3: yeah. there was some discussion about the Iowa part. Was yeah. this because of the caucus? Oh,
0: yeah, I was there for the caucuses, for sure. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so... Uh-huh. Oh. My life just recently has been very, like, laissez-faire in terms of, like, what I, I'm doing. And I think this is something that people should should take into consideration. Like, uh, uh, yeah, I, I hope this doesn't sound lame, but there's, like, a whole stigma in our country that you need to do a life a specific way. That you need to go to high school, go to college, graduate, get your degree, and go work for the rest of your life, keep your head down, go on vacation for 14 days a year, um, and then eventually that's your whole life. I don't believe that. I think you should live a little more freely. I did that. I worked at each uh, for a- like two years. I was miserable. <laughs> I hated every day. Um, I hope my former employer doesn't hear that, because maybe one day I'll want to job back. But. <laughs> I think you should live a little freely, so you're right, in December it was a crazy experience. I was super interested in politics and I decided to run for office in 2019 while I was still working at HP, um, which was just the most difficult thing to do because I was already working 40 hours a week and then I did another 40 hours campaigning um, on top of that, but it was also liberating. What's funny is after college it's hard to like interact with people or it's hard to meet new people Um, And that can be daunting for a lot of people. Um, But I found that, like, once I jumped into political space and getting more involved locally, it was so easy to get back into that atmosphere. So I felt like I was back in college. Um, And that was really cool. And I think people don't understand that. Like, a lot of people after college are like looking for that sense of community. And I really think politics could be that for people because it brings people together, it gets people talking about issues and things like that. But at the same time, it gave me more like courage to follow my dreams. Um, So one day, like, after doing all this activist work, I got a call from the Bernie campaign Mm -hmm. and they were just like, Hey, we want you to start working in Iowa next week. And I had at that time, I had one full-time job I had, I was working also part-time at New Jersey Working Families, which is a political organization. And I had to like quit both jobs in a week. I had to sublet my apartment or get rid of it in a week. And then I had to drive across the country. And I was terrified. It was the most bizarre experience in the world. But I was just like, I'm miserable here. I need to get out of here. Let's hit the road. And then it was just the most incredible experience. I went all over the place. I went to Vermont first. Then I went to Iowa to start working. Um, After Iowa, we went to Nevada, California with the campaign. After California, it was Michigan, Michigan to Ohio, Michigan to Chicago, Chicago to Ohio, and then back home. So I've just been crisscrossing the country. Most unbelievable thing in the world, but if there's a lesson here, it's seriously like follow your dreams. You have one life. You're never going to get it back unless you know you might get reincarnated, but you're not going to remember this life. I think you should go out and experience everything, and and I just hope more people take that lifestyle into consideration.
1: And I could tell that's coming from the heart because I mean you got to see so many different perspectives, and you took that leap that everyone is afraid of doing. And you were able to break out of your shell and pursue like your passion, which is politics and getting involved with, you know, the campaign that you wanted to is like something we all in a, in a way want to do is support people that can drive the beliefs and drive those big actions uh, that we want to see in this world. And being a part of it definitely like almost brings that sense of humbleness, a sense of like, okay, I'm doing my part. As Mm -hmm. best as I can, and you're surrounded by people with even different ideas. Even if they're on the same campaign as you, I'm sure you met people that have different type of opinions on certain things. You know, not everyone's going to agree with every single thing, Um, and it's definitely like you grow a lot from that. And I'm really happy to hear that you did that. And I'm sure, like you know, there's so many stories you can talk about with that. That's great.
0: Yeah, and it translates well to anything. Like it, it doesn't necessarily have to be in like the political space, right? Like. You should follow your dreams in any direction they take you. Whether you're like aspiring to be a rapper, like I don't know if you guys watch the show Dave on Hulu.
1: Oh uh, yeah, with the uh, little dicky. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Super funny, uh, but he's just like a normal guy that was just like, "Hey, rapping is my dream," and then he went like on all these cool like random adventures to make it happen. If you haven't watched that show, it's super super frigging. Are we like Curse?
3: Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> super fucking inspirational. Um, but that's what I'm saying. Like you have to take it in any direction. Like you choose for me, it was politics. I love politics. I love talking to people. I love meeting like my political idols. Um, so I went on that road trip, but if you're considering, like, if you have any hobbies that you like, like you seriously only have one life and you got to make it happen.
1: Can we give an example of something our viewers should be surprised to hear that the government actually has a say about?
0: Surprised to? I mean, I mean, the government has a say in every single thing around you, um, and that's that's what's scary. I mean, on a local level, they decide how much funding your public schools get. They decide whether they want to fund public schools versus charter schools, how much each gets, and that can create, you know, disparity between um, different communities because it tends to be the case that lower income communities end up having like less money to put into their education, which means. People can't advance further and they can't break out of those communities, creating like a cycle of poverty. If you're electing local leaders, you can make better decisions on education and things like that. Um, we have a system that perpetuates inequality and the only way we can change it is by, by focusing on local issues. Yes. Yeah,
1: edu- education is a big one, especially with everything going on. This is all history. It's going to be written in our history books. But it's really the matter of like what is going to be, I guess, um, like what are we going to really talk about in a positive and negative light? You know, because with everything going on, you can take anything and twist it up to make it seem like it was a bad thing. Like these riots, for example, mm-hmm. there's definitely going to be a lot of negative connotations behind the violence and how these were supposed to be peaceful protests and back. Yeah. Um And now it doesn't seem so.
0: Right. But here's the thing. I mean, these riots, they started off as peaceful protests. I mean, we're <laughs> let, let's not be delusional. Colin Kaepernick took a knee at a football game. And he got like dragged through the media, dragged by the president of the United States. And he was told by many, many people that that was not the right space to protest. At some point you start to feel like if they weren't listening at those times, like what is gonna change? I mean, we've seen over and over again, hashtags start to trend because of like the women's march, because of different movements. And it just seems like we keep going in a cycle of trying to take action in a peaceful way And people getting the message for a minute and a half and then forgetting about it until the next school shooting, the next person that gets murdered on the street. And then we do it all again. And it hasn't been working for years and years. And now we're starting to see what happens when you don't listen to the people that did try doing it the peaceful way. I've
2: realized that our love that sometimes manifests itself as black rage is a beautiful form of defiance against the system that seeks to suppress our humanity a system that wants us to hate ourselves. But I remind you, it is love that is at the root of our resistance.
0: So these protests are people kind of exhausted because they've used all of their options already and they feel like change has not happened. Especially most recently, you know, by going through the political process, a lot of people felt like their voices weren't listened to and now we have two candidates who are in a lesser of two evil situation again. And it really goes to show like, what can we really do?
3: Do you think that we should be funding programs that are more towards de-escalating situations and not necessarily, you know, attack, which is what a lot of police officers are kind of taught to do because they are told that every day that they put on that badge that they are risking their lives?
0: Well, the truth is it was not always... I mean, it, this has existed, first of all, forever, for the history of the country. The, the thing that's different right now is social media... And just everyone having cameras makes it hard to hide the injustices that are going on, especially in in terms of police brutality specifically. Um, But these are issues that have happened for a long time. I do agree that there needs to be mechanisms in place. I mean, there is a huge movement towards abolishing police. I don't know how I feel about that yet. I haven't made a judgment on that topic specifically, but... What I think that needs to happen is there needs to be accountability right now in the interim, right? Like when things like this happen, Bernie actually put it really well in a video that he dropped on Twitter yesterday. Every single instance like this needs to be investigated training for police officers needs to be investigated. There needs to be sensitivity, racial sensitivity training, um, all sorts of things. But there's also a need to root out bad apples. And that's not what's happening right now. And it feels in a lot of ways like that there's an irredeemable system because the scary thing is like a lot of the police force is Trump supporters. So I don't know if you've been following so closely what's been happening over the last few days, but there was a African American CNN reporter that was arrested literally while they were on live TV for no reason at all. Omar Jimenez. Yeah, but talk like think about what Trump has been saying over the last few months. Like the media is fake news. CNN is fake news. Like the people that are in the police force tend to be white. They tend to be. Um, Trump supporters, they tend to be a little racist and that's like a a bigger systemic problem um, that I don't know how, like some things you can't teach people out of, right? Like you can't give someone a training and then make them not racist. Um, They also in in my opinion, at least, they need to be demilitarized. They have like these heavy weapons. Another thing is, you know, they say um, I think it's part of the, the community if I'm not a police officer, so I don't know from firsthand experience, but a lot of people are saying that police is police go in with the mentality of it's better to be judged by twelve than carried out by six, which essentially means better to protect yourself and, you know, if any if there's any like hint of potentially being harmed, it's better for you to take violent action against that person and be judged by a court of law than to be carried out in a casket. And so what that implies is at any sign of like potential danger, police are going to use nonviolent force. I, they're going to use violent force. And that goes against, you know, their own creed, which is to serve and protect here in New York, at least. Um, and it, it just, it shows that there are so many sweeping issues that it feels like it has to be more than just you know re-education programs. I think you're right, Sapesh. I think vetting is going to be important. I think um, just making sure there's more diversity in the police force, incentives for for people who wouldn't consider going into um, um, that that career choice, because I feel like there's a certain type of people that like to be police officers. Or, as well, people that may have like been bullied or you know suffered emotional trauma as a kid and they want that power complex. That's an element of it for sure. Are you guys familiar with the Stanford Prison Experiment? No. It's a logical experiment that was conducted a while back, and I the, the the gist of it is they had a bunch of like volunteers um, or just people that were participating in the study. And let's say there was eight of them, four of them they would put uh, they were assigned to be, like, the officers or the enforcers, and four of them, you know, were considered the criminals. Um, and they all knew that they were in a study and that the people weren't actually, like, criminals. Um, even though that these these people were taking on these fictitious roles, the people that were assigned to be the enforcers or, you know, the police in, in a case, um, they ended up getting out of hand, and they ended up, you know, imposing, like, really – violent, you know, punishment to these people that were supposed to be the criminals, even though they weren't actually criminals. So it's that power complex that really, it changes a person. And if you feel superior to someone, it's going to make you act in a different way. And that's, that's a problem in the police force right now, because a lot of these police officers, first of all. They're not being held accountable. The man that killed George Floyd um, was only arrested yesterday after like days of protest. So like they have this power complex and they're going to abuse it. Um, and so there needs to be a lot more done than just, you know, like some training programs for sure.
3: Let's talk about protesting versus voting. What mm-hmm. would you say brings the real change?
0: I think it has to be a combination of both. Uh, one of the most transformational times in our country's history was 1920s, 1930s, around the Great Depression. Um, a lot of people credit FDR for, you know, ushering in a New Deal era that that took us, a, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, and it it took out inequality in a in a large way because things were very disproportionate at that time. It didn't make it completely a level playing field, but it definitely made things better. People always credit that to FDR as if like FDR was just waving a pen and getting these things signed, but It was a combination of FDR's leadership and the rise of unions and the rise of labor movements, and people don't really talk about that. So the truth is, like, these things need to work in tandem. Protests are really good because they energize the public space. They get more people aware of what's going on, and they turn politics into less of a, a stigmatized topic, and it enables discussion. And then that enables you to elect leaders that will actually move the ball forward and put forward legislation. And it also enables you to put pressure um, on your elected officials. So it really has to happen in tandem for anything transformational to happen, in my opinion.
3: But we're not getting a socialist. We're getting Biden, potentially.
0: Yeah. Why should
3: we vote for Biden?
0: Um, That's a great question. I, I haven't entirely made up my mind on that space yet. Um, I I don't think, first of all, if anyone tells you that you have to vote in a specific way, because, you know, the same greater of two evils argument, that's not how democracy works. You know, it's your vote, it's your voice. And you should feel, you should never feel ashamed to express your vote at all, because that is the only way that we can make change is our vote. Um, That being said, there is an immense amount of pressure to the progressive movement to go up, and back Biden. And there is a case to be made for that. And that is that the conditions that we are living in are more of a dictatorship uh, right now than uh, ever before. Trump seems to be going towards authoritarian presidency. And if he does get reelected, then things are only going to get worse because he will have had the approval of the American people and a mandate to continue his behavior. And the behavior that he has been, you know, contributing to right now is appointing Bill Barr, an Attorney General, that has no regard for the law, that just dropped charges on Michael Flynn, who was an um, investigator as part of the Mueller investigation. And that's something that like shouldn't be the case. The Department of Justice is supposed to be independent from the president, and the president can't order. The Department of Justice to drop an investigation on his ally. That's authoritarianism, and that's the direction we're going in. So my argument for supporting Biden would be we don't want an authoritarian in the White House. That being said, um, Biden has been making some overtures to the progressive movement, which is good. And we have to see what direction he goes. That's why I, I said I'm not necessarily sure if I'm going to vote for yet, because I want him to make concessions. If we just promise him our vote right away, then we're not going to make any progress. But we need to hear him say, listen, I'm open to the idea of Medicare for all. I'm open to the idea of UBI, um, especially in this time when so many people are unemployed. Yeah, exactly. Like, if he's not making these concessions, though, like, I don't think anyone owes anyone their vote. Votes need to be earned. And Biden is no exception.
1: But essentially, we basically, the big thing that politics is, is a game of public funding. What do mm-hmm. you say? Like where the money goes, follow where the money goes. And it's basically the different leader and the different leadership styles they have, they prioritize where the money would go go uh, mm-hmm. back to NJIT, <laughs> uh, you know, when I was in NJ, when we were there at NJIT like that was the first glimpse I had into like how public funding or I wouldn't say quote unquote decent public funding can have because of course yeah. there's a lot there's a lot of things you can go into with Newark and their public funding that is concerning. But I want to know since you travel the world and everything like what's what's happening around the world that you would consider politics and like the different impact that public funding had for those cities or places you've visited.
0: You can travel all over the country and you'll find that a lot of the issues are very much shared, but then there are some very unique ones. I'll talk a little bit about those. Um, Right now we have a crisis in this country revolving around health insurance. Um, People, especially in different states, States have been politicized in a lot uh, in a big way um, between this party divide, especially during Obama's presidency and Obama passed the Affordable Care Act. And some states decided, you know what, this is a great thing. We're going to go all in. We're going to fund you know, this program and we're going to make sure people have access to affordable health care. Some states were like obama's a democrat obama's african-american we don't want to support him we're not gonna fund you know we're not gonna fund his health care program so it was just crazy to see the disparity um between different regions like liberal states have access to more health care funding which means their rates are subsidized more people are able to jump onto the health insurance um but states like nevada states like arizona Um, and and more Republican states, they they don't have the same access to healthcare still, which is scary. Um, So that's something that that is widely influential and shows how partisan politics can affect people's lives on a granular level. Um, The other thing that is being perpetuated right now is wealth inequality. Um, And pretty much what we're seeing is all of the new wealth in this country is going straight to the top. So and that ends up being New Jersey New York, California, Texas, Chicago, like the cities, the urban cities, that's where all the wealth is going to. So then you go to like rural areas like Nevada, uh, I keep mentioning Nevada, cause that's where I spent you know, a lot of time in Iowa as well. And they, they don't have you know, a similar infrastructure to enable people to, you know, get, to get to that wealth. You know, they oh don't God. have any systems that will kind of help them get out of poverty. Um, And that's a result of, you know, just wealth being distributed to just like three or four hotspots in major urban places. And that also creates a divide because now people in rural America are angry at coastal America, um, which creates this, you know, us versus them type thing. But the real issue is the government. It's not, you know, the people in the Midwest versus the people on the coast. It's it's all the people, you know, versus inequality perpetuated by government policy. Something that I wanted to talk to you guys about, and I am sure you guys have questions about um, on that topic, but like, what is it that like young people, uh, and I am one of them, but I, I feel like I've been disconnected because I just hopped into a different world um, where my life is hyper focused on politics. But I want to know, like, what's engaging to young people? Like, what are people seeing right now in politics that might like actually captivate them? Do you guys have any idea?
1: i mean i think that like these celebrities and people that you know are known for like sports too like they're speaking out about certain things and it just gets people more involved then again you can argue that it's kind of like what is the post going to do for the injustice happening and stuff but Mm -hmm. it's i guess more about spreading the message spreading uh i guess like spreading it in a way that's relatable for people our age and a lot of people like really quite frankly only found out of this about this because people are posting it on their stories or a celebrity they're following is like talking about it very intensely. So then they feel some sort of compassion because they're like, Oh, this person I look up to, you know, mm. is talking about this. It matters to them. Maybe it should matter to me.
0: Right. 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 Yeah. I, said that makes that. Sense.
3: Um, I think when Cardi B, um, you know, first endorsed Bernie, there was mm-hmm. a lot of hype behind it. I think yeah. uh, she's always been pretty vocal about social injustice. Uh, even now, she's speaking up about what's happening. I think it really does help. I think hearing it from people that have that type of influence definitely makes people feel like, you know, oh, if this person cares about it, maybe I should, too. Uh, mm. Taylor Swift also recently said something. She actually yeah. tweeted something. Oh,
0: super I uh, yeah. very well aware. <laughs> I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. If you hadn't note. Nerd- um, but oh, yeah. I,
3: I, <laughs> also, I love how you were brave enough to say that on a podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I say that I the whole fraternity that is especially my parents, but uh, yeah, yeah. I'm open. so open about my love for Tara Swift, for Camp Rock, for all the Disney <laughs> classics. I am a child at heart, and I think we all are. Um, but did you guys see Cardi B's video yesterday that she tweeted um, where mm-hmm. she kind of just went off talking about the uh, the riots?
2: So I just want to give my POV. Seeing people looting and going extremely outraged, you know, it makes me feel like, yes, finally, finally motherfuckers is gonna hear us now, yeah. And um, as much as people is so against it, At this point, I feel like I'm not against it, even though it it, it do scare me, and I don't want anybody to get hurt. But it's just, it's really frustrating. I don't wanna make everything political, but it is what it is. It's by voting. And when I say voting, I'm not only talking about the president.
0: I I think those things are so cool, and I I hope more of it happens, but it shows like you can get engaged in like very creative ways, right? Everyone has their own unique talents and i think what what is important and i think what like could happen is finding a way to just like incorporate politics into culture and i think that's when things get you know really yeah exciting yeah i feel like a lot of people think like to be involved with politics you need to do like the tedious stuff like you need to run for office you need to like knock on doors you need to like call people be super annoying donate and like there's all these like little scary things that like are barriers but like we can really make this our own. We're a whole new generation and we should start thinking creatively like using our own strengths. Like that means like if you're a web designer, like if you, well, also like the the thing that you guys are doing right now, like you guys are definitely very articulate and knowledgeable and you guys put together a podcast and that's a good way to communicate in a way that you're comfortable with. And I think that's what we need to get to. Like we shouldn't think of politics as like the norms and the way that they have been like the last few years. We should start thinking we need to reshape politics and make it more translatable to our generation by just focusing on what we're good at and how we speak our own language. Yeah. No, I agree.
1: So just uh, to
3: circle back to what you were saying earlier about how you went to all these different places, um, Mm -hmm. one of the places that you mentioned that definitely piqued my interest personally is when you said you went to Michigan.
0: Um, So the way the campaign worked was really interesting. You typically will get a random call. First of all, it was a pretty stressful campaign. So. Not everyone would get redeployed. You get hired in one state and then you're kind of like fingers crossed. Maybe after this election is over, they'll rehire me. So there were a lot of times that I didn't get rehired. But when I did get rehired, they put you in a specific location and you kind of just focus on that district. And then you hopefully get our candidates to win in that district. So Michigan, I was um, I was set up in Kalamazoo County um, in Kalamazoo which uh, was a really interesting place. I was actually organizing on a college campus and that was the coolest experience in the world. I actually um, planned a music festival with a bunch of local artists. Support your
1: local artists? Yeah,
0: so Michigan was an interesting story because we got the call to go there about six days before the election in Michigan. And we were in California, me and the people that I was traveling with. So we wow. had to drive all the way across the country to get there, Saturday night, we started working on Sunday. The election was on Tuesday. So we had three days in Michigan to get Bernie elected in that county. And what we did, me and my, my crew, we ended up, Tepesh, you know me pretty well. You know I love doing events. Right. We got some local people on campus together, some young people, good energy. And we were just like, hey, how can we do something exciting and different that brings people into process into the process in a different way? And we ended up coming around to the idea of hosting like some music, some local artists. We put out some theaters on campus, um, tried to see how many artists, local artists we could find in three days. And the demand, like people were so excited that we ended up being able to have artists recruited to play music all day long in the middle of campus at Western Michigan University. And then the coolest thing is like, we did this all in three days no approval from like campus facilities, no approval from like any institutional like support. And we just like got drums and like speakers and guitars and like all these instruments. And we planted them in the middle of campus and made so much noise that like the, the administrators of some of the buildings had to come down and they tried to pull the plug on us in the middle of like our day of action to, to get people excited to vote. And that was just the most extraordinary experience in the world. But it it really goes to show that like in three days you can really do a lot. But the, sh- the 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 crappy part was that apparently Biden ended up winning every county in Michigan, which I personally don't believe because we talked to thousands and thousands of people, and I had not heard a single person say that they wanted to vote for Biden. But then again, I was on a college campus, so young people tend to skew towards Bernie. But yeah, that Michigan was an extraordinary experience. I wish I could spent more than three days there.
1: Oh yeah. I mean you guys had momentum from Cali, so like all of that energy and you were trying your best to translate it into Michigan. And it for it to not fall through, yeah, it's definitely disappointing. It was And you know, that's one thing that people say about the Bernie campaign is the young people let him down. Well, uh, yeah,
3: I don't I don't think it's necessarily that the young people, quote unquote, let him down. It's like he does get a lot of support from the younger crew. Mm-hmm. But it's just been facts, you know, that young people tend to not vote mm. compared to the older generations. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's I mean, there, there there, are a lot of factors at play. I think media is like a huge thing that kind of. it it inspires like that election specifically michigan um there is really large voter turnout in like the 60 plus 50 plus group and um media really distorts like their vision of the world and ends up you know favoring a biden administration and that kind of stuff but yeah in, in terms of young people i think the problem is we don't have time like think about it like you guys know the struggle if you're a young person if you're in college like your whole all of your time is spent on like figuring out how you can grow as a person, um, how you can like what your future is. And the thing is, like the system itself makes it so difficult to kind of navigate life that like you don't have a chance to think about anything other than surviving. Um,
1: I mean, it's it's ridiculous. We don't have a day off. Like You got to take yeah. time out of work to go vote. Like what? It's like the biggest thing that can happen in four years and we still like don't have a day Mm -hmm. off.
3: And statistically, that prevents a lot of minorities from voting right? because they're working.
1: (laughs) Right. And I mean, I think that the voting system should be modernized. Like, how can we incorporate tech to voting? And like, you know, people are talking about mail-in ballots, but like, I feel like, you know, using tech as a leverage, there has to be a solution there in terms of making it secure. But also very efficient so that everyone mm-hmm. can vote. Yeah. You know, and get their votes to matter.
0: The crazy thing is, though, and it, and it sucks and it's like really dystopian, is like a system like that, a system with technology replacing like mail in ballots. Like the government is set up in a way where like they want to make it as difficult as possible for people to vote. And that doesn't seem to be changing anytime soon. And that's like, that's why these protests are so important, because, you know, what we're feeling right now is like a lack of democracy um, and a lack of fairness. Because the truth is, like, if they wanted to, like any of these big fucking tech companies could come in and be like, we can make a super encrypted election thing that you just, you know, you go online on Tuesday, everyone can do it at the same time and you can vote. And they could even go a step further. They could put like a video for every candidate there. So like when you're voting, you can watch it right there. And that could be a real democracy where people can make an educated, an educated vote. But that's just I mean, Trump has specifically like said this on Twitter that mail in ballots which is not as easy as online voting which is so much more difficult than online voting because a lot of people don't check their mail. He says that mail in ballots are anti-democratic because they make it too easy for people to vote. And that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard because our goal in a perfect democracy should should make it easier to vote. And that that's where that's where like standing up and protesting, you know, really is going to be important because the elected officials on both sides, um, they don't want to make voting easier. And Trump actually said that if they switched to mail-in ballots, that the Republican Party would no longer exist. What does that mean? That means that people don't support the Republican Party. And if you give people a choice, they're not going to vote for Republicans. And Trump has blatantly said this. Um, so their goal yeah. is going to try to suppress this as much as possible.
1: And I and- mean, the whole idea right now, why mail-in ballots are huge is because of the pandemic we're in and it would yeah. be just overall more safe to have mail-in ballots. Uh, it, it's like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I feel like what Trump is but- trying to do here, he's trying to avoid getting kicked out. And it's just like, yeah, like you said, the, the power of everyone's opinion is just, Right now, just between the peoples and it's not getting out there.
0: Yeah. And seriously, in Texas, the Supreme Court just said that it is not within the rights of citizens to get a mail-in ballot even during a pandemic, even though that their lives are at risk if they vote in person. So voting in Texas is going to be in person during a pandemic. And that is unbelievable. And it's because they have a fully Republican Supreme Court there in Texas and That's another reason why a lot of these Supreme Court seats in Texas are elected. So if you had elected a Democrat, um, or not even just a Democrat, because I don't think party labels really mean anything, um, if you elected someone progressive, then you could have more democracy. And that goes back to why elections are so important, because they really have such a widespread impact. And the scary thing is, and I keep saying a lot of scary things, is the people in power want to keep the system the same way, and they're going to make it harder for us to vote for new people that want to change it. Um, so it kind of creates this paradox where like, you want to put people in to change the system, but democracy is so flawed that it's so easy to rig an election against a candidate that's going to change the system, and it makes it very impossible to make change.
3: And that's the one reason I can give everyone to vote for Biden yeah. is because the president does have a say on their cabinet and does have a say on who is uh, part of the
0: Supreme Court. Mm.
3: We need to vote Trump out.
0: So where do you stand on that, um, curiosity? Are you ready to support Biden on like right away or are you still waiting on concessions?
3: I am waiting to see if he will offer more. Mm -hmm. But practically speaking, I'm going to say that he probably won't. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I am thinking of it as something where I could vote third party. That's always Mm -hmm. an option. But really, Mm -hmm. where is my vote going? Is it really benefiting anyone if I did do that? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it goes down to what happened between, you know, Hillary and Trump. A lot of people voted for Jill Stein. Right. Because she because um she shared a lot of the same ideology as Bernie. And right. at the end, it hurt our chances of winning back the White House.
0: Right. Right. That does make a lot of sense. Um, But I mean, what I would say on that, though, is I, I do agree Biden is the better of the two evils. But there's something scary about normalcy. There's like think about eight years of Obama. Right. Like. We got into a position where people were comfortable, and people like turned turned off the news. They like stopped paying attention because they just had complete faith in Obama. And what that led to is, first of all, little accountability on the government. Right? The Obama administration conducted so many drone strikes. They continued the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. They um they started they actually built the detention centers that are on the borders that Trump is now you know using to to lock up illegal you know immigrants. Yeah, and but nobody.
1: Do you think it's too soon to talk about his legacy? I mean, I think right now what we could talk about is the importance of transparency throughout and not just when voting is. That's kind of what you're getting into here.
0: Well, I think the importance in understanding the evils on both sides, right? Like. There is something about the Obama administration, first of all, that like it, it wasn't bringing the change that people had hoped for. And what that led to is people becoming disengaged in the process because Obama was shouting out hope and change left and right and promising big things, talking about healthcare for all people early on in his career. And people thought of him as like our savior. And also just being the first, you know, African-American president, he really held a lot of symbolism in the African-American community. And people were counting on him to tackle issues like police brutality, tackle issues like systemic racism. And also, like, we have to understand that Obama's first term, his first two years, he had a super majority in the Senate get a supermajority in the House of Representatives. I don't know if a lot of people know what that means, but that means pretty much anything that Obama wanted to get passed into law, he had the people to do it. So he could have passed, you know, structural, you know, systemic, you know, cr- a crime bill that would have helped out the African American community a lot more. The one thing that he ended up doing was bailing out Wall Street at the expense of taxpayers. So a giant, you know, redistribution of wealth from Working people to the wealthiest people in the country. So, why I'm mentioning is that that is because you know, we think that was a great administration. A lot of people hold Obama up to like a high regard, but the truth is, like, we never made progress when he promised progress. And people who voted for him decided that their vote didn't make a difference. They realized, like, we tried hope and change, we like we gave him our vote, like, more people came out in that election. That was historic turnout. And then they they came out of it with nothing. And so you're coming into 2016 and, you know, you have a candidate like Hillary that's saying, oh, we're going to continue on the legacy of Barack Obama. But these people are like, well, Obama didn't change much. So, like, why, like, does my vote even matter anymore? Like, does it really make a difference? And
1: but how do you I, get I, your votes to matter then?
0: Well, so actually, I mean, I just want to touch on one of Sam's points earlier when you mentioned 2016 and people voting for Joe Stein. The truth is that wasn't the problem. The problem was the amount of people that didn't show up to vote at all because they didn't have, you know, the Obama charisma, um, you know, kind of inspiring them out to vote, um, and they didn't have, you know, policies that they were passionate about in Hillary Clinton. So people think that Hillary lost because. Because people voted for Joe Sion. The truth is, Hillary lost because turnout was nowhere near as high as it was in 2008 and nowhere near as high as it was in 2012. Um, And she didn't, it was her job to inspire people to vote. That's the way I I think about Obama, not Obama, but Biden as well. It's his job to inspire people to vote. Um, Although there are some other. And not
1: just beg for it almost. I feel like at times when I look at his stuff, it's just like at this point, it's like, well, I'm your only option, guys. Mm -hmm. Pick me.
3: you can feel the desperation, yeah, in Hillary, and you can feel the same desperation in Biden.
0: Yeah, when you have like a moral platform, a moral agenda, um, agenda that speaks to people and actually provides solutions, um, then you get buy-in from like the coolest people in the world. Like you got Ariana Grande jumping on to support, you know, Bernie Sanders, Cardi B. Um, I was in Iowa, and Mike Posner came out there. I don't know if you guys remember Mike Posner. he's saying like, cooler than me and oh, yeah. took a pill in Ibiza. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he came out and performed, like, a little concert for Bernie on the campaign. The mm-hmm. Strokes came out. Like, all these, like, cool— Like, if you are genuine and if you care about people, then you're going to get the institutional support of all of these figures, and you can turn this into something more than just a campaign. And that's what Trump is doing really well, and that's why— He's actually going to run a really competitive campaign. Um, You know, Trump is an awful person, but he's a good marketer and he's really good at bringing people together in this crazy world. And that's what Bernie did well, too. And that's what Biden didn't do well. That's what Hillary didn't do well. But it's also what Obama did well. Like Obama rallies were huge and popping as well. And it, it just it just shows like you really need to be able to speak to people and make them relate to you. Um, or else you're not going to go. And
1: Trump is like the ideal example of making himself relatable to people with Apprentice, with his shows, with movies, and all the things he's done in the past. Even like you know, his big famous thing is bad press is good press. Like any type of press, press, yeah, any type of press is good press. And he has Mm -hmm. no remorse whenever he tweets. He he does not Mm -hmm. care. And, you know, that's the power of tech. I feel like, you know, there's a difference between the people and their thoughts and then their actual like public image as a government uh, leader and like their social media, like, you know, Trump has their, his POTUS account and uh, he mm-hmm. has his own personal account, but he's always tweeting from his personal account. You know, does that, right. does that mean, though, that we should separate Trump from President Trump at that point? Uh, And then like, do you think people are more inclined to feel like, oh, I know this person because he, I I follow his Mm -hmm. personal account. And now I feel like whatever he's saying there, like it makes more sense than whatever he's just trying to say on his presidential account.
4: Mm. And
1: he's being more relatable because he's being more personal in that sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. My personal opinion is I think there should be one account and I think it should just be Trump. Like, I don't think, I don't care so much about the POTUS account. I think what's happened is people have gotten used to politicians having two faces. Right. And like being able to say something casually and then something more professionally. I personally don't like that. I think you should speak candidly all the time. And that's the one thing that I will say Trump speaks candidly on his personal Twitter. Um, And that's, that's transparency. Like I don't like people hiding and like, fancifying their words and making themselves looking more polished but then doing the same shitty stuff as everyone else because that's that's exactly what we've had in politics would you say
3: that's what obama did
0: i would say that's what obama did i would say that's what george bush did i would say that's what bill clinton did i would say that's what every like charismatic leader um in like the past few decades have done and that's like a reason why there's so much like lack of faith in politics because People know that politicians have one like public-facing face that is controlled by pollsters, people that take polls on you know, older people um, and ask what issues are important to them. Uh, their, their thoughts are crafted by strategists, and it's very unnatural. That's why someone like Bernie and someone like Trump comes off as so appealing, because you can tell that they're not following like what pollsters are saying. They're not following what strategists are saying. They're being natural. And that's the kind of transparency that like we've been lacking in politics for such a long time. And how can you trust someone as your elected official when you don't know whether they're speaking to you in a you know, cordial way and just trying to be overly professional or if they're being genuine with you? Like you can't trust someone when you don't know who they are. So I personally think there shouldn't be like I don't care about Trump's Twitter. Trump should express himself. I honestly like knowing what he's thinking because it gives me an idea of like what he's planning on doing. And I want to know what to expect. Mm. Um, if he were hiding it, then I'd be terrified. I would be living my life like not knowing whether to expect like what just yesterday he said he was going to send the National Guard into Minnesota. And when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Horrible. I'm happy that people know that, though, because if you don't want to get shot, That's information that you would like to know. Imagine if he didn't say that. Imagine if he just sent the National Guard, gave them the instruction to use lethal force, and people didn't know that that was the order, and they just stayed there and they didn't want to die. That would be awful.
1: But then, what's your opinion on this new bill asking for the fact checks of tweets? Like, is do you think that's hurting the First Amendment?
0: I think that's giving a lot of power to corporations, specifically Twitter and Facebook. Like, how can we trust them? What is their motive? Profit? Like, they're not the arbitrators of truth. Um, there's no way that that's going to going to go down in a way that's productive to the the masses, um, and it's going to be gamed for corporate profit. Think about it. Trump is doing great things for Twitter, great things for social media in general. Social media has never been more relevant. And I mean, there's a huge case to be made that Trump's account hasn't been deleted because it drives revenue for Twitter because people are going onto Twitter to see what the president is saying. Facts. Yeah. So yeah. like, why why would we trust them to regulate the social media space? It,
1: but I it think wouldn't. it was important for them to flag it as, uh, you know, a violent, inciting tweet you know if you put things like you're a leader of a country and if you talk in a way that inspires hate and inspires violence yeah. and even like you know instills fear within all your followers and like your your citizens of america like right it is important to kind of flag that down and just kind of say like look well he might be your leader but this is a tweet that's insensitive
0: Well, so what if the rules were reversed? Now, what if it was, like, a local, you know, progressive group that was trying to put together a protest, and Twitter was like, oh, this could get violent, so I'm going to shut this down, and now you limit the capacity to organize um, on any level. Like, that's where it could get, like, I think these things are, like, the first step to, you know, allowing censorship on social media, and look at how that worked on mainstream media, right? Right everything that's on the news is, you know, filtered by CNN, uh, who filters it through its, you know, donors, and it's the people that, you know, spend on ads there. And what you get is like a media that doesn't, that tells the truth with like a political spin. And now what we're talking about is like starting that rabbit hole with social media. The one good thing about social media is there's no, there's no like ad companies, like, it's all genuine, like, People can express themselves freely. But once you start allowing a corporation to regulate that, then their, their shareholders are going to get involved, too. And they're going to start to quash down on protests. And they're going to start, like, look at China. Look at like Saudi Arabia. Like, it's happening in other countries. The more power you give to these corporations, like, the more they're going to exploit it especially when you have a trump administration i would
3: say to a smaller scale we have that Mm -hmm. too like regular people what Mm -hmm. we what we put out online our employers can use it against us and judge us right i would say that that's probably you know what is happening with trump and what's happening with these uh ceos that have Mm -hmm. twitter we're looking at what they're tweeting and we're judging it we're using that to decide whether we want to buy whatever product they're offering
0: Mm. see my concern my biggest concern is where does this rabbit hole go because it starts innocently it starts with okay the president is tweeting dangerous things let's squash it but the good thing about social media right now is it is relatively a free space for people to express themselves. Of course, you're right. Employers are something to consider. Um, and that's that's a different problem in and of itself. That's a systemic problem. And I think that there should be laws in place to support individuals' right to freedom of expression on the internet. That's the way to go about you know, stopping employers from regulating what workers say. But it's not to just make the system so laissez-faire that, you know, the corporations can decide what gets to be posted and what doesn't. Because you never know, like the, the Trump administration could funnel like tax money into these corporations and then have some influence in what those things are, what those corporations are censoring. I mean, it just starts a rabbit hole. I do agree that there is a problem with freedom of expression and employees. Like, it's not just social media. Like, if you say something offensive in the workplace, too, you're also going to get reprimanded. And that is just a violation of your First Amendment right to express yourself. Um, And that should be solved on itself. But I don't think by limiting rights on social media, that's going to really help. I do agree, though, that what Trump is saying is, is is conducive of violence and it incites violence. But I think the, the way to combat that is just having more forces of good on there that are preaching nonviolent stuff and that are calling Trump out when he says these things. Um, I think that's what's going to be more important. And also, there's a problem with Twitter and Facebook in that you get caught in a bubble, you start following, you know, these people with the same train of thoughts as you and you end up like only seeing their opinions and then you think the world is only one way and you never get an insight. You never even like get a glimpse of the other side. So one thing that could be done um, in terms of regulating uh, tech is at least diversifying like what people see in some way um, by, you know, allowing kind of other opinions to filter in, I think that could really change things. Um, because a lot of people like, especially if you're on the right and you're angry, you're always going to find like news and content that will stimulate your anger and make you more angry and that will validate your own opinion. Um, but if we started seeing like fact checks, um, in terms of like people who really analyze these things, normal people, not companies, like, responding to a lie and like making that available for people who haven't followed that person you know does that kind of make sense like yeah we need to show alternate opinions like kind of like an
1: inverted recommendation anymore. where you get to see yeah kind of
0: things not always of course like there should yeah. be a balance but like at least letting that filter in because so many people are stuck in a bubble um, where they don't see any other opini- uh, opinions outside of their own
3: there are countless times where Trump has tweeted something and just even a basic Google search will show that, you know, what Trump said was either historically incorrect or mm-hmm. just plain wrong. And I think in that sense a fact check is necessary because yeah. there's a lot of people that take what Trump says, not just as an opinion, mm. but as an actual fact.
1: And mm-hmm. actually, now that you mentioned it, Sam, it's not just people in America, it's people outside of the United States. And it's just, it's a public image that as a president, you got to withhold. And if right. you're inaccurate, it kind of makes everyone else look bad. Or this whole country look like, then what is going on?
0: Right. But let's hope like people can moderate that too, right? Because like there, there is a community on Twitter, there is a community on Facebook, and there are people that, you know, object to what you say and that are knowledgeable and that have the facts. I think the people can should be able to handle it, and they sh- their stuff should be promoted, promoted a little more. But I think you know sacrificing that power and giving it straight to the corporations is a little scary, um, because I don't know if you've been like seeing what's going on in the world, but corporate like our con- our country is turning into an oligarchy. Um, Bernie says this a lot. Where and what an oligarchy is is when a few corporations own the entire you know economy. Like the whole media space is run by five companies, I think. Like Disney, um, Comcast, uh, AT&T. Like, did you guys even? Did you guys know AT&T owns like a large portion of the media? A telephone company. Like all these random things. Like are becoming monopolies that is scary and and like look at amazon right like amazon has like put so many brick and mortar stores out of business so many like uh small mom and pop shops out of business we're getting to a place where corporations just have so so much power and it's really really scary because their incentive legally is always to maximize shareholder profits that's what the law requires a company is required to maximize shareholder profits that's their objective so they're going to do everything to make money and that ends up being immoral in, all, in a lot of ways and it creates the system where we're losing our freedom and we're losing you know we're losing just small local businesses and it's and it's terrifying and I think in a way, though, like
1: I mean, in a way, it comes back to our way of thinking about it because I feel like you know we're so inclined to rely on brands, we're so Mm -hmm. like dependent on brands and big corporations because we trust and we we have a faith that their products are good, their services are good, and there's like just the efficiency of you know one day shipping or uh, just like strong, reliable network uh, for, for internet, whatever. And at a point, it's like uh, people just want what's convenient for them. And that's what these big corporate corporations are able to do. But I think you know, like I live in Yardley, right? And it's like I, I have a lot of mom and pop shops here, Not a single big corporation besides Wawa. There's one Wawa. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really, it's a different atmosphere here. And you can see the appreciation people have for the owners of these small shops like coffee and uh, whatever food stuff. It's like everyone knows each other here and it's a different atmosphere. And I feel like that can only come from people that really know how it is to own a small business or know people that struggle through these, uh, through like owning one or, you know,
0: but the thing is, like it's it's more than even just small businesses. Like I think the best way to like depict this is by talking about Amazon, right? What Amazon has been doing over the past few years is they've been competing by offering fast shipping, offering cheap prices, and offering a very convenient experience. And by doing so, they are able to like knock out a lot of small businesses um, super quickly. And now what happens after that happens, right? Like say like they're successful at like knocking out a lot of the small businesses. Now they can become the sole competitor in terms of, you know, providing products to people. The only person on the market that's doing this because they've completely obliterated all their, uh, all their competition. At that point, they have complete control over pricing. They have complete control over um, the experience you get and they have no incentive to do it in a convenient way they have more incentive to you know raise their prices because there's no more competition they start low they start at a place where they make things easier they kick everyone else out of the playing field and then they start price gouging it happens in in tech it happens in pharmaceuticals it happens all over the place where these just these multinational corporations are literally destroying all competition and then and then price gouging and it's the scariest thing in the world Um, and a lot of people don't know that because they do a good job of creating the illusion of freedom, right? Like we think because we have like all these different options in our grocery stores that there's all these different brands that are all doing great work, but they're literally the same nine companies. And that's like, it's just, it's so subliminal because people don't realize there's a problem because they see the variety. The truth is, you know, we're... It's condensing and like the media landscape is the same thing. There's six companies that own the entire media. Anything that you watch, Hulu, Netflix, all the content that's out there, it's owned by six companies: GE, News Corp, Disney, Viacom, Time Warner, and CBS. They own the entire media. And you would think that like there are so many different people in the mix, but it comes down to like those six companies. And that's that's just the scariest thing in the world. Like, first of all, who knows who's more powerful right now? Are corporations more powerful, or is the government? I personally think corporations are more powerful.
1: Yeah, hundred percent.
0: Yeah, and they—they just—they can control the levers. They're the ones who are donating to politicians. They're the ones who write the laws, and um, people need to see that. People need to wake up to that, and and they're realize. shaping
1: the way we consume and process like goods and services.
0: But we haven't know. gotten to the end game. Like they're going to always try to maximize profit and it's going to get scary like when everything is owned by like one or two companies right now there's still at least like a handful of companies but if it's just one or two companies then they can just they they own the market and they can do whatever they want they have the ultimate freedom um,
1: Amazon's the scariest one, I feel. Yeah. They're just so horizontal with all their services, like from Amazon Clean to the Amazon Web Services. It's just like they want to capitalize on yeah. every single industry and they're doing it. They're not just saying they want to do it, they're able to do it. Yeah. It's
0: crazy.
1: They're against these other big companies like Google, Google Cloud Services and um, it's just like, I don't know. They're driving a lot of industries to the corners.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. like unstoppable. It's funny though, because ca- the mantra of capitalism is we want variety. We want healthy competition to drive down prices, but like we're, look at where we're at. Where did capital capitalism lead us to? It's not variety anymore. It's consolidation. Like this is not the, way capitalism was intended right like the ideal capitalism is a lot of small businesses you know competing against each other to drive costs down and make you know things better and cheaper for the american people but what really happened with capitalism is they want cheaper so they ship jobs overseas they want you know better so they um i don't know exploit labor and it's, it's ridiculous like we are not in a functional system. And that's why socialism is on the rise. And a lot of people are, you know, taking that moniker now. Um, but like literally capitalism's not working. It's doing the opposite of its intended effects. And that's, that's really scary and damaging to a lot of people. And the other thing right now is with COVID specifically, small businesses are getting wiped out left and right. And the government is not helping them. Six trillion dollars um, was released by the government. Um, I think more than that at this point, actually, to, so quote unquote, help the American people, $500 billion went to the American people directly in the $1,200 checks that you may have received. Um, a lot of people didn't even get that. And in the, I didn't get that. Yeah. Also, the expanded unemployment benefits were part of that $500 billion. So that's what they gave to working people directly. They gave over $6 trillion straight to corporations. But the thing is, they gave it to the big corporations, not the small businesses. So when this pandemic is over, the big corporations are going to be able to resume business as usual, but all the small businesses—they don't have the payroll protection, they don't have the capacity. They they missed rent for the last two months, and they're not going to be able to reopen. And that's like that—that that just exponentially advances, you know, the agenda of corporations because this crisis just eliminated more small businesses than you know could be fathomable, and that was. That was a result of poor policy. The government, the yeah. know, it could have could have done it differently. They could have given the money to small businesses. They could have realized that, oh, if you're a large multinational corporation, you should have had a rainy day fund. You know, like why are you not like putting money away for a time of crisis?
1: And most of them do have that. They just yeah. are so like I, I don't know. They want this is their opportunity, especially with I just we keep talking about Amazon, but this is their perfect opportunity to become that company that. Controls everything. And, we, and that's what they're doing. And we they, talk- they, Yeah, they like took on the whole shipping of essential goods and prioritizing, you know, shipping of masks and stuff, which is the most hot demand product right now. Sanitization, personal protective equipment and all that. And they're not giving that opportunity for other businesses to do that or contribute and prosper. It, it is, and like not even that, like where, again, the game of where is the money going? Mm-hmm. After this is all over, Rent is still due. Mm-hmm. Loans are still due. Student yeah. loans, all these things are still due. Where yeah. are they getting the money?
0: And all people got was $1,200. And they, that's not support. That's not support. And um, yeah, no, you're exactly right. And the serious thing is like, these companies, like, they will put out ads and they'll be like, hey, like, support your essential workers or we, we care about our essential workers and stuff like that. And but the thing is they, like, they have like multi-billion dollar profit margins and they could literally enhance like the working experience they could give them you know a uh, hazard pay they can give them paid sick leave like they can make the experience better for their workers but instead they decide to like blow their money on ads and stuff um which is crazy and the thing is like where is this money going uh, i guess that, that was the question and the funny thing is like there were some sunset rules like on the on this funding, especially like with the COVID funding um, that went to corporations saying like you can't buy back stocks for like X amount of time. You have to keep people on payroll for X amount of time. Literally all the corporations are going to do is they're going to uh, they're going to buy by that for the allotted time. And then as soon as that like sunset period ends, they're going to go back to buying back shares to inflate their, to artificially inflate their, their stock value. So shoot the, I mean, Trump's big thing is the stock market. He wants money pumped in the stock market. So that's kind of helping Trump's agenda. It also helps the company. And then they're going to lay people off. They're not going to keep the jobs that the government paid them to keep. They don't care about people. They care about profit. Um, And that's what people need to understand. Corporations are corrupt and the government is also corrupt.
3: A lot of what you're saying right now, if not all of it, is like, you know, super Bernie. Yeah. Um, Would you say he was a big influence in you getting into politics?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Bernie is one of the biggest influences in me getting involved. Um, I think for me, what
3: are your other influences?
0: For me, it was personal like involvement. Like I my first time getting involved, really in politics was um, it was so silly and so goofy. I really like AOC. I think she's kind of cute. Yes. And I was, AOC
3: also tweets. Um, yeah. Would you say like, you know, that there are politicians that actually tweet and then there's ones that do not Like, I do not believe for a second that Biden is actually tweeting the things that he is saying on his account.
0: Biden has a comms team. He has, like, he has strategists, he has pollsters, and everything he tweets is, like, perfectly, like, scripted towards what the polls say and what his strategists say. And it comes off. Hmm. Right? Whereas AOC is speaking as a person. What I love about AOC is she was just like you and me she was a waitress she went to college did her four years her father passed away which you know it must have been a, a hard time for her and then she had to she had to um stop like her own personal growth you know journey and support her family by becoming a waitress um and that's like the most real thing in the world like that's relatable that's like the experience that maybe you and i have and you know that people in our generation have um and you can tell that like she cares about people that she's you know rooted in like you know a genuine hope for change like that's what inspired her she had to work so hard to get to where she is um like it's impossible she i don't know how familiar are you with her race did you guys follow it along
3: with her race?
0: Like when she ran for Congress in 2018.
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, AOC is, um, I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure she is the youngest, uh, congressman. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. But the, the more, more crazy thing is she unseated the third most influential Democrat in the Congress. Yeah. And she, did it by literally knocking on doors. Her shoes are in a museum because they're so worn down from how much like door knocking she did. Like She went and did the work of talking to people, understanding their concerns, and then articulating it in a genuine way. And she does that to this day. And that's why like her tweets are so genuine because she actually talks to people every day and she gets the perspective that's needed to really to really, you know, speak for people. I think her goal right now is to be a voice for our generation um, and for, like, working people. And she does a good job because she stays close to her roots. She has every, like, possibility to live a bougie life right now. Her salary is, like, $192,000. That's a congressional salary, something like that, One hundred seventy, I think. Like she could like shut out the working world and go into like a very privileged life and, you know, do what every other politician does, but she doesn't like she's been going around delivering food during the COVID crisis, wearing a mask. Like she's been organizing in New York to help her people. And that's just, that's, that's the kind of leadership we need. And, and that's why it shows so clearly because she's real, she's genuine and she's passionate and other politicians, to be quite honest, like they're not real. They're doing it because they're opportunists, they're careerists, and um, they have donors that will give them a lot of money to, to say things a certain way, and they have no choice but to listen to them because their career would not continue if it weren't for their donors
3: would you say that AOC is also, you know, you keep mentioning that she's genuine. Mm -hmm. I've never really listened to an AOC speech and thought throughout it, like, what is she talking about? She Mm -hmm. uses very simple language, I would say, for most parts. And she doesn't try to, like, overcomplicate what she's saying. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that resonates a lot with young people, too, because she doesn't really always sound like a politician, even though she Mm -hmm. is one.
0: Yeah, no, that is, that is so true. Um,
3: There's a code switching, like, you know, when we talk to our parents, it's different than how we would talk to our peers. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of politicians try and use it. I would say that AOC for most parts stays very true to how she really is.
0: Yeah, and I would say two things on that. I think the first is like, it's really hard to do that, right? Because the issues uh, that she's talking about are so complicated and there's kind of an art to being able to simplify it in a way that makes it super relatable and I really think she spends a lot of time like thinking about that like I don't think it just comes off perfectly. Uh, If you follow AOC on Instagram or on Snapchat like you'll see her like diligently like taking notes before any like the big speeches that she gives. Um, It's super super challenging to to take all this complicated stuff that's going on in government and distill it into something so natural and that's an art form and that's like i think that's where politics should be in the future like it should be about storytelling it should be about like making you know these complex issues relatable to the masses and that's where like art and music and culture comes in because those can be tools to really make that possible the other thing i will say though is other politicians have um restrictions into what they can and cannot say so it makes it hard to just talk candidly. Like Beto O'Rourke is a great example of that. When he ran for Senate, like he ran initially against Ted Cruz, the Democratic Party wasn't giving him any institutional support. And so initially, like all of his speeches were like so charismatic and like he was so genuine talking about Medicare for all, all these good things straight from the heart, super passionate. He
3: Beto won me over, I would say, uh, when yeah. he was running against Ted Cruz. I saw a lot of potential in Beto. He did his whole Vanity Fair thing. Yeah, and he completely lost me.
0: Mm. I think what lost like a lot of people too was there was a point where people started believing Beto would be able to take Ted Cruz on, right? Like not not like people like me and you, but like people like corporations and like the institutional powers. They, they don't invest in races that are going to be a loss. So in the beginning, Beto was a lost cause because Ted Cruz is, you know, popular and there was, and Texas is super Republican, so there wasn't a lot of potential. So Beto was able to run a campaign that was grassroots funded and say whatever he wants. But at some point, people realized he had a potential to win, and then big donors start putting money in his pockets, and then he lost. He actually lost his genuineness. He kind of strayed on topics. He wasn't able to answer questions candidly anymore because they give you like a list of things you can't say when you're sponsored by like a corporation. And that's, I think that's when like people start, started losing faith in him. I, I don't think people, I think people were drawn to his personality. Of course, he's definitely very charismatic. But I think in a lot of ways, they're also drawn to his policies and the fact that he was able to speak freely. So when he started holding himself back because of that institutional support, I think that's when he really lost traction because I I loved Beto in the beginning when he was running ultra progressive when he was just speaking his mind but you could tell at some point that he got big money and then he started changing his message he was being less like off the cuff and and it just it wasn't it was sad because it felt like a betrayal cuz I feel like it's hard to trust anyone in the progressive movement because people are corrupted so easily that's why like Bernie is such an enigma right Bernie has been doing this for decades. He hasn't changed. Like if you look at clips of him 20 years ago, he's saying the same things he's doing today. It's unfathomable that someone could stay in the system for so long and remain uncorrupted. And it's so sad that like new people in the game, like you get super excited when they come in and they seem like, oh, they're going to go the progressive route and they're going to, you know, try to do this without corporate money and stay uncorrupted. And then they they end up changing that path and it becomes like disheartening. And there's a lot of like people watching AOC right now and saying and like just trying to make sure that she stays to her roots and she kind of stays on track. But that's a huge problem that we need to face. It's part of like Citizens United. It's part of that of like corporate funding of elections and. Pub- it
3: goes like- back to holding our leaders accountable, right? Full transparency, um, being able to see their donors and knowing where the money is coming from, so that you know that they're not being pushed to do an agenda that necessarily go with their initial policies. You know, one of the things that you've been saying is how to incorporate art and music into the election process so that young people will, you know, want to participate more. And it's one of the things that you said earlier, that's also kind of interesting, because you were just like, a lot of these uh, celebrities can't really have an opinion on this. on what's happening because it'll hurt their image. Mm -hmm. Right now Mm -hmm. you're seeing so many people that are vocal, uh so many of my friends personally who aren't even into politics that are saying something about what's happening. And even people outside of the US are getting involved. But now that everyone knows what's happening, what can we truly do to change the system?
0: I think it's all conversations, having conversations just generally. And that's why I talk a lot about incorporating art and incorporating music, because I think art, music, and just other forms of expression create a safe space for people to have conversations. I personally, I don't know the struggles of the African-American community. And the only way I can learn that is if I talk to people that have been affected from it. And there aren't a lot of spaces where we can have those conversations. You might find it, you know, on a college campus setting, that space exists, you know, you're always meeting new people in college, but outside of college, you know, there aren't spaces for you to meet new people and hear different perspectives. And I think that's what we need to do. First of all, incorporating... Politics into your art, right? Like creating a story in the way that you are able to express yourself by like depicting, you know, some of these issues through art. That's a good way to bring people together and start a conversation. And, you know, I really think that's where we need to get to. If we can have a conversation about injustice and inequality without, you know, feeling ashamed to talk about it and without feeling ashamed to share our political views, that's when we'll really make progress. And that's just not happening. Um, How many times have you tried talking to your friends about politics and how awkward does it get and how quickly does it get that awkward if they don't share your opinion? And that's where I see that intersectionality between art and music and just Any other medium of expressing yourself, I really think it needs to be employed to bring people together to have that conversation, because that's when you're going to start holding elected officials accountable. You have to know what they're doing first. And in order to do that, you need to have conversations with people that are affected by policies that exist.
3: If you're protesting right now, just a PSA, please be careful, cover your head. Um, That not only protects your identity, but keeps you safe. Hong Kong is using like these spray bottles with baking soda and water solution, and that would like neutralize the effects of any tear gas. Don't wear makeup. Um, It may look funky, but wear goggles to cover your eyes. Uh, Consider a helmet to protect your head. If you can, carry a backpack and carry something hard like a book inside of the backpack so that it can act as an armor in a way for rubber bullets. You do have the right to protest. Uh, the Constitution does protect you if you are outside of the U.S. Article 19 of the Universal uh, Declaration of Human Rights that also protects you, and it sucks that you know this even needs to be said, but that's just where we are right now in the world.
0: Yeah, that's really good information. I'm glad that you that, that you provided that to people. Um, and I also think if you are healthy and able bodied, um, now is definitely a good time to get your voice heard because what's happening all over the country is really scary and it's going to take people coming together to put a spotlight on it. And it's working so far, like everyone, even like non-political people that, um, I'm friends with on like social media, everyone's been talking about the protests and it really shows that, you know, nonviolent, you know, peaceful protest is effective and it gets a conversation going and we wouldn't be talking about police brutality today if it weren't for these protests. I'm really, I'm really happy about that.
3: But these people who are posting on social media, please show out on November, vote. Um, That is a huge key part in all of this is to have a leader who actually gives a damn, who is willing to make change And I know that we don't really see it a lot in the candidates that we currently have. But I feel with pressure, we can change a lot of things. And that's clearly being demonstrated with these protests that are happening right now.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
3: You said about how, you know, pursue whatever dream that you have. Could you just really briefly tell us about your journey from getting your parents' approval for? even being into politics the way that you
0: are? Yeah. Um, the truth is there is no approval. Um, I, I I, think a lot of, you know, people with our same background have this struggle um, of, you know, parents kind of imposing their vision onto you. And the truth is, like, I succumbed to it. You know, my parents' vision was me go to high school, college, graduate, get a full-time job. And that's exactly what I did. I worked at HP for two years. Um, I worked at Panasonic for a year. Um, and I did exactly what they said. And the truth is, like, it just didn't make me happy. And it didn't make me fulfilled, uh, feel fulfilled. So um, to be honest, like, I, I've been a rebel for a while. And I, I've never been so attached to my family. And sometimes that's what it takes. Like, it's hard for them to accept you speaking out, especially if you're talking about like getting involved in politics. Like, it's scary for foreigners, because I think a lot of, um, at least my family is Muslim, you know, we lived through 9-11 in this country. So there's a lot of fear not just fear, but like a need for assimilation. We spend so much effort trying to fit in, not ruffle any feathers, not offend anyone. Um, So the idea of me speaking out and saying something about the way like this country is run is the most terrifying thing that my parents could ever fathom. Um, so I actually, my way of doing this was I kind of fulfilled their objective for me, which was getting that, you know, corporate job. And then I was able to just have a little more freedom to do what I wanted on the side. But I really think that like, I wasted some years. Like I wish I had gotten involved early and I think it just takes courage. Like your parents, especially if you're from our background, aren't going to support you right off the bat. But What I will say is when I ran for office um, in 2019 and when my parents started seeing like videos of me, like if you Google my name right now, there are like so many hits. So the one thing that our culture in our culture is like super cool is when you can create like buzz and when you can create like, you know, something to talk about within, you know, family. There's a lot of gossip in our culture. So when my parents started to see me on the news, they got really excited because they could share videos of me to their family. And that's when they got like, they completely dropped any like fear and they became overwhelmingly supportive because it was kind of fodder for them. It, it gave them something to like be proud of. Um, and then I lost that election and then it completely went away. So the truth is like, you're never really going to please your, your parents. And I think a lot of people are focused a lot on pleasing your parents. I think that's a really hard balance to find. But I think it's really important to just do things for yourself and let your parents come around to it when they do come around to it. Because if you follow your dreams and if you work hard, even when your parents are yelling at you and your parents are giving you a hard time, when they when you succeed, like they're going to come around and they're going to be like, oh, like I wish I was there the whole time. And they're going to try to repent that's exactly what happened in my case they just don't understand it's a very different dynamic than you know they're used to um and especially a lot of like i said a lot of you know immigrants are coming in from a state of fear and you know after 9 11 made it really hard for people to accept like speaking up my recommendation is just do it and they'll come around um but you have to live your life you can't you can't spend your entire life like Trying to live out your parents' dream—you're your own individual person. I think that's a hard message for a lot of people to hear, but it's really important. Yeah, I wish I had learned it earlier. I wish I never spent two years in corporate, in the corporate world, and um, I think I could have been in a different place right now um, if that weren't the case. But everyone has their own journey, and they come to it in their own ways. So just make sure you're being true to yourself.
1: Well, Evels, it's that time, everyone. Thanks for all the knowledge you dropped on us today. Best of luck with your career, man. And I know you're going to kill it. You always have. The floor is yours now. Feel free to say anything you'd like.
0: Thank you so much, Pat. It was such a pleasure talking to you. And Sam, I've never formally met, but it was also just a, a pleasure to talk to you. And I'm, I'm really glad that we were able to have this discussion. Keep the hope. Keep the optimism. There will be a brighter day if we come together and um yeah it's gonna be a great future we just need to work at it
1: thanks again talk to you soon well what a conversation am i right
2: i would say um i would definitely vote for him
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think the messages we all discuss need to stand against time though and we can only hope that we do our best To contribute to the movement, contribute to everything that's going on in history right now, and be there for the people. Well, Sam, episode three in the books. I hope we were able to break some of the stigmas you guys may have had with politics. Hope that we were able to motivate you in some form or fashion to get involved, go out there, and make your vote and your voice matter.
2: Uh, Just really quickly before we end this episode, I just wanted to urge everyone that is listening right now to go out and vote and please vote for Bernie. I know that sounds really confusing because he did technically suspend his campaign, but all that really means is that he's not actively campaigning. Uh, The voting system, I would say, is so goddamn rigged and it's so complicated, too, that it's easier to just tell people to, hey, go vote for Biden. Because we know he's going to win. And we know that there's going to be a lot of elbow grease that's going to be needed to try and make Biden look good. And because of this, so many Bernie supporters will just tell you to go and vote for Biden. But it is so important right now that we push Biden. Because what he's giving us right now, Tepesh, it's not enough. Mm -hmm. It's not fucking enough. We need more. We need to do more please vote for Bernie for primary elections. And if you have a platform, push your audience to vote for Bernie too. For the primaries, this is not going to hurt our chances of winning back the White House from Trump. But we also cannot just give our votes to Biden, like Avez said earlier.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, Avez had a great point there. And you know guys thanks for listening please drop a follow a review we are a platform here to educate using the resources we got without your support we are voiceless and now more than ever it's important to continually spread the message with that here's pry another local artist link in the bio support your local artist and stay healthy enjoy peace
4: Been a grip. What you seen, and where you been Yeah, I'm good, I'm not like them I didn't tell you way back then I had to get over it I had to get on with it I'm still running at the moon I hear it, been breaking truths We've been watching for the truth. I just got my eye you. Bro told me you gotta do Everything you said you would I know I can't for you. I've been stuck inside my room Getting kinda hard to move I know I can't follow you Yeah, yeah I can't follow what you do I just lost the time to lose I've been drowning, drinking booze Shit different, I link with you Sorry, I've been trying to I feel like it's been a grip What you seen and how You can tell I've been stressing. Who sleeps? in no question. She told me I'm extra. I look like no kidding. Who better than this? Get you better than this. I've been tumbling and dipping and losing religion. And I tell you I'm different. And lately I'm tripping. I practice my diction. I can't wait for commitment. You either here or you isn't. Ain't growing, take friction. No pan pan. Every chickens I don't cluck. Get no fucks giving up. Tell the truth. Then they might miss a Tony fly kite. So I line to the sky with it. Some things never change. I'm still hungry. Rick. I want everything everything. It's pride